Thank you, Devin. It's uh, great to have talents both on the organ and the piano, and he does them both well, and, and someday I'll show you my ability to play chopsticks. All right. Um, well, this morning uh, we continue our series in the book of Genesis, so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the, uh, Genesis, uh, the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, and uh, we'll be doing a little bit of review and then looking at some new sections this morning as we look at Genesis 33 and 34, but you can uh, kind of start with 31 as we look back at some things in preparation for uh, what we have this morning. I'm going to tell the message, be prepared for what's next. Um, sometimes I think all of us have had that moment in life where we wish we could predict the future accurately. And if we could predict it accurately, we might uh, have a better sense of what we ought to do next because it's kind of laid out for us. My sense is if that were our experience, we would be overwhelmed by what might happen next, recognizing even if we knew what's going to happen next, we can't change what happens next, and all we have to do is brace for the onslaught of the challenge. Um, and, and some challenges we know are minimal in comparison to what other people are going through, and sometimes they are uh, maybe beyond uh, people that we are least uh, close to and what they've had to endure in life. I was uh, just thinking this past week is that we have a number of people experiencing birthdays in the month of February, and this particular uh, Sunday is uh, is Warren Williams' uh, birthday. Uh, he had planned a special event with his extended family, and then he came down with the flu. Um, and it's not that 24-hour flu, it's that one extended flu experience. And when I was thinking about that, I came across this story. A young boy called the pastor of a local corner church to ask the pastor to come to pray for his mother who was in the hospital with some flu, or at least what looked like flu. The pastor knew the family and was aware that they had been attending another church down the road. So the pastor asked, shouldn't you be asking Pastor Jim down the road to come by to pray with your mom at the hospital? The young boy replied, yes, but we didn't want to take the chance that he might catch whatever she had. (laughs) Ooh. A designated pastor to get sick, I guess. You know, things happen, and sometimes you just scratch your head and you go, really? Really? Well, this morning we're going to look at a passage of uh, scriptures because we're going to look at an extended passage. We're going to, Lord willing, we're going to finish our series in the book of Genesis um, by Easter, and then we'll start a new series. And it's been a, a series where you could look at a couple verses for an entire Sunday, or actually a week of Sundays, as we looked at Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and 3. Uh, but now we've been kind of speeding up our, our pace a little bit. Well, this morning is kind of a familiar theme that gets repeated not only in Genesis, but actually throughout the entire uh, uh, Bible as we see the story of, of, of God's people as they try to somehow maneuver in this, this life with God that they, they are called to and have put their faith in in terms of how they should now live. Uh, and so the journey continues. And sometimes when you take a step back, you, you kind of scratch your head. Well, I, I, thought, I thought people who were somehow connected with God were supposed to be different or special. Um, one of the men of the church came by my house uh, yesterday, and they were saying, you know, as you've been preaching through it in our first series of personal time with God, now we're going through the book of Matthew, but in, in my reading through Genesis as well as hearing it preached, even though I'd read it before, uh, you know, I'm just amazed at how dysfunctional God's people were in Genesis. 
Well, it's not just Genesis. You could take every book in the Bible and then you could bring it up to date now. Remember, we, for those of you who've been at Grace Hills for a while, we did a series in the book of Corinthians, and it was the, the church is the perfect place for what kind of people? Imperfect people. And you could say sinners, sick, whatever you might want to call it. But the church is the perfect place for imperfect people. You could also say what, what kind of family, what kind of people are in God's family? Uh, God's family is the perfect place for dysfunctional family members. Because what happens is, as God brings us into his family, um, and you can use the, as God saves us, he, he saves us from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, but the presence of sin is still there. And what we have, probably even more than any, anybody else, we have that spotlight shining in our lives, showing us what we should be, but also what we're not yet. There's going to come a place where our sin, our, our practice of sin, will be dealt with completely. And that's when we see Jesus face to face. But in the meantime, we're still a little dysfunctional. We're still a little imperfect. We're still not quite there yet. God is not finished with us yet. And, and so as we look at God's word, it reminds us of that. Not that God wants us to leave, stay there, but, okay, this is the journey. And Part of what God does in allowing various things to happen in your life, and we live in a broken world, is for us to remind it that we need to depend fully and completely upon him or we'll stay like we've always been. And also we need to recognize as we learn the lessons, hopefully the lessons that we learn and then begin to live out, it will impact others in a, in a positive way to say this is how you're supposed to live with God instead of not how you should not live in terms of living that faith. And so what we want to do this morning is, is throw out some principles about being prepared for what happens next and how God intervenes on that. And, and to put it in very pointed ways, I've, I've reviewed some things in chapter 31 and in 32 that kind of brings up to speed. And then we're going to look at briefly what is in chapters 33 and 34. Well, what could happen next to you? Well, what could happen next to you is what has happened to other people before you and what's happened to them. For instance, if I could tell you this next week, people are going to slander you. They're going to say things that aren't true about you that will ruin your reputation. And they will do it because they're envious of who you are, what you're able to do or what you have. How many of you looking forward to this next week? Probably none of us. All right. But that's exactly what happened to Jacob. Look at Genesis 31. And I need to turn to there as well. And we're just going to see some observations of that in terms of the life of Jacob of Jacob as he tries to live for God, and then things happen. Genesis uh, 31, man, I can't seem to turn to the passage, 31, verse 1. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. Now, to put it in simply terms, they just accused Jacob of what? Stealing. Now, did he steal from Laban? Of course he did not. God just prospered him. In fact, actually, Laban was still being prospered, but not, now not at the same rate that Jacob was prospering. And it, it, that never happens in our day, right? No one ever gets, you know, kind of, you know, messed up because someone has more than they do, right? No, none of, no, no, no one in America believes it, feels bad about that. If somebody has more than you do, you never... And we have a whole political system that's now raging with that whole challenge. 
And it's one thing when it's true, but it's another thing when it's not true. No one stole anything from Laban. And yet that's what happened to Jacob. And you're saying, really, God? I'm trying to live for you, and now people are ruining my reputation and wanting what I have. In fact, they're not going to be happy unless I have less than I have now. That happened to Jacob. Well, moving on. Not only was that true, but hopefully, you know, if, if, if things are not going well in your family, probably things aren't going well for, for you. Well, he had a fairly good relationship with Laban. I mean, there were some bumps in the road, whatever it might be. But look what happens next in terms of description. Look at verse 2. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. Actually, literally, it says it was not as before. And the not is, it used, it used to be he was praising about, you know, when God brought you in here, now uh, God has blessed you and he's blessing me. And he was all excited about Jacob being there. Well, now Laban's doing the same thing. And doesn't that just like puts a knife in your heart when someone you thought liked you now no longer likes you? Or a person you thought loved you now no longer loves you? Well, that's what was happening to Jacob. This is, this is what his next was. But the story goes on. Not only that, but let's look at his family, uh, Rachel and Leah, and what, what they're experiencing. Genesis 31, 14 through 16. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? The context of that is Jacob saying, Hey, we got to get out of here. This, this, is, not a, this is not a good place to stay, and, and we got to get away now. And they're thinking, Well, if we get away now, we're not going to bring all, all the bennies with us. That's all the benefits. We're not going to get all the perks. We're not going to get all of our inheritance. Uh, verse 15 Are we not considered strangers by him? Our dad looks at us as is orphans that don't deserve anything for he has sold us and also completely consumed our money for all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's now whatever uh, now then whatever God has said to you do it okay and they're hoping he was going to do a little bit more than just kind of take off uh, with just very little uh, in terms of what was really due theirs what's the point here is not only is there slander and envy that might be in your Next days, loss of favor, but also injustice. Or what like children like to say to parents all the time when they don't like what's happening, life's not fair. You know, you know how many have ever experienced life not being fair? Right? We, we, we've all experienced that. And, and, and somehow when we back up the truck and think about God, we're saying, well, God, if you're good and you're powerful, can't you make life fair, at least for your children? How about the people who are in your family? Can't you, you know, help us out a little bit here? And then you, then you begin to look at, well, how about just my own experiences going through life? How about the, the physical part of it? This is almost the emotional or personal or financial. Look at the physical things that, that Jacob described in terms of when he was with Laban. Look at verse 40 in chapter 31. There I was. He's, he's kind of whining to Jacob at this, uh, to Laban at the time, his father-in-law. In the day the drought consumed me. He's going to take both the day and the night. You know, when I was working out there in the, in the fields with the sheep and the cattle, it got hot out there. And, and man, I was just like burning up. But then I also worked at night. And the frost by night, man, I got hot in the day and I got cold at night. Sounds like our weather recently, doesn't it? Okay. And then it goes, and my sleep departed from my eyes. Um, I'll have true confessions here. It seems like the older I get, the harder it is for me to sleep. 
And I'm really happy about that. <laughs> no, I'm not. You know, you know, it's just, you know, when you can't sleep, you never get fully rested. And, and here Jacob's saying, now I've been working so hard. It's not my age. It's just that I work so hard. I, you can get so tired, you can't sleep. You've ever had that? Where you're just, you're just so worn out, you just seem like you can't rest. And, and so he's complaining. And not only that, verse 31, thus I have been in your house 20 years. In case you didn't do the math, he worked seven years for who he thought was Rachel, and it ended up being Leah. Then he worked for another seven years for Rachel. And then he, after 14 years, he really didn't have anything. So he said, if I do leave, i got to have something to take back to the promised land. I can't start with nothing. And so he works six years, and he thinks he's he set up a, set up a situation that should have been prosperous for, for Laban, but God stepped in and prospered him more with the striped animals. You remember that story? So for six more years, he's been there 20 years, thinking that he's going to get something from this. And how would you like this as, a, as an employer for you as an employee? I serve you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages 10 times. Now, implied in that is not that his wages were getting higher. They were getting what? Lower. Now, does anybody want to sign up to, to be a representative for God, to be a follower of him? Because this is what happened to the person God was going to use to start or at least to establish the nation of Israel because his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. God, why is that happening? Now, when those things happen, hopefully you and I are prepared for that which happens next. Now, to be prepared for what happens next, we need to know how, how does God figure into this whole experience? Everybody goes through these type of things at various levels of intensity. The difference is for the believer is that God goes through those things with us. Well, how does he go through those things with us? Well, we're, we're going to see that in a moment. And it can be little things or major things. I was sharing the first service that actually a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and this is so minor, but, you know, sometimes the little things just irritate that, you know, irritate you quite deeply. They were changing the sewer system in our, on our street. And as they change it, they line it with a certain silicone or whatever it might be. And, and then they have you turn off things. And then after it's over, you turn your systems on and they work better than ever. Okay. Well, uh, when they turn the systems on and then we use the sewage system in, within our church, if you can put the picture together, things started to back up. Now, when that happened, I thought, well, man, the whole street has their sewage system backing up into their homes. Guess what? It was only the pastor's house that got backed up. <laughs> All right. And, and you know, we had, we had the, the United States military come out. We had the plumbers, you know, everybody come out and, and, and they could not break into it. And so for uh, three or four nights, they had to set us up in a hotel and we couldn't live in our house and they were doing everything possible. The only house on the street that had part of their silicone back up into our pipes was our house. God, I'm such a spiritual man. Why did you allow that to happen? Well, look, things happen, all right? And sometimes it only happens to you. Now, in the midst of things that are important, that is so minimal. You know, you think about that, that man, it's, I think his name's Donner or something like that, who was Navy and police force. And, you know, he, he killed a couple... Um, young people in their 20s that were engaged to be married that were graduates of Concordia University. And, and so they were Christians and they were either the first two or among the first two that were murdered by him. 
And, and you're wondering, well, God, God how, how do you prepare for that? I mean, I, I can prepare for a sewage system, but take, you know, two young lives beginning their, their lives together, preparing for that. And all of a sudden, in a rant, I don't know how you describe that, that what's still going on, and yet those lives were taken. So how does God intervene when things happen? Well, I'm not going to give you anything novel here, but again, God will repeat these kind of things throughout Scripture, but let's, let's see how he tried to prepare Jacob for that. Number one, he promises his presence. Look at 31 verse 3. So after he finds out that he's being slandered and a loss of favor with his his father-in-law. And, and how did he decide that he had a loss of favor with his father-in-law? He could just tell by his countenance, which means he could look, the, he could look at his face and knew, and knew that his father-in-law no longer didn't like him, love him, despised him. Well, what did God say to that? Verse 3 in chapter 31. Then the Lord said to Jacob, and the reason he had to speak, speak to Jacob is because at this point, Jacob's faith was, begin to, was beginning to to disintegrate. It was shaky. He says, return to the land of your fathers. He gives them instruction and to your family. And then he gives this statement, and I will be with you. The uniqueness of having a relationship with God is not the prevention of problems, but it's the presence of God in the midst of of problems. I will be with you. You know, and just looking out into the congregation today, I, I, you know, you could come up here and give testimony about health issues that linger. Yeah, I, I don't mind being sick for a day, but it better not be longer than a day, all right? But it's the, it's the sickness or the disease or the, the, the ramification of surgery that linger. That, that's, that's when you need the presence of God. And some of you could share that. Or the, the loss of a loved one. And it doesn't mean that that there isn't sorrow there, but that God somehow by, the, by your fingertips allows you to, to hang on. Because why? Because God's presence. Secondly, and, and this is a hard one to swallow um, because of, of some of the intensity of the trials you might be going through. But he also filters our pain. Look at what, what Jacob said in verse 7 in chapter 31. Yet your father, he's speaking to his family, has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. He repeated this a couple times. He wanted them to know, look, your dad has really cheated me. But then he says this, but God did not allow him to hurt me. Now, that seems kind of strange. I mean, he, he was hurt by his father Laban. But what he's saying here is that in the midst of the, the hurt I had, he didn't really hurt me. He hurt me, but he didn't hurt me. You understand? We have that. Well, we are, you know, we are saddened. We're, we're, we're filled with sorrow. We're filled with dismay. We're filled with questions. But, but it hasn't destroyed us. I think we've all heard that phrase. What doesn't destroy you makes you stronger. Now, now some people, it, it never gets to making stronger because it destroyed them. And God has said in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 13, that, that no trial has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted or tried beyond what that you are able. But with the trial or temptation, 
will provide a way to escape also, that you may be able to endure it. Which, in a straightforward sense, is saying, I'm going to filter the pain I allow in your life, and it will not be beyond what you're able to endure. Now, I don't know where, where my pain quotient is. I don't know where your pain quotient is, but God does. And we have to trust him when those, that pain seems unbearable. But God is saying, I will not allow your pain level to get to the point that you can't hold on to me. So how does God intervene in our lives when the next thing happens? He promises his presence. He filters our pain. And thirdly, he reminds us of his power or promises. And hopefully you kind of pick the idea here. In 31.13, it says this. He says, I am the God of Bethel. Again, he's speaking to Jacob because he needs another lesson on this. Where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. Now, if you remember the story, this is the story of Jacob experiencing God through the dream where God it reveals himself and he sends down a ladder, a stairway, and you have the angels ascending and descending. And Jacob is... The experience here, he, he's, he's, he's away from home for the very first time. He's been a mama's boy. He's, he's, he's going to go to a land he's never been to meet people he's never, never met, only heard stories about. And, and he's not an outdoorsman. Now he's going to be on a camping trip forever. And some of you don't like to camp. It's all five-star hotels for you. And he says, this is out of my comfort zone. And God, look it. What are you worried about the, the little thing? I, I've settled the big thing in your life. I'm providing a way for you to know me. I've sent down a ladder, and all you have to do is, is, is take the way. And say, so isn't that the biggest thing that God does? for if, if God's power can save us, what are we worried about the little things in life? And we all worry about the little things in life. But if we're reminded that the biggest, the biggest worry, the biggest fear, the biggest question, what happens when we die? That's settled if we've climbed the ladder that he's provided through his son. So he, he reminds us of his presence, reminds us of his, of his filtering our pain, reminds us of his power. And then finally, he teaches us to trust in his protection. Now, I'm not going to read the story, but Genesis 32, if you were in our life groups or you were here last week, Brandon shared uh, a little bit about the wrestling match between um, God, the man, and, and Jacob, the little man. And if you read the first part of the story, you have who in the world is this man wrestling with Jacob when, again, he's all alone. And when you're all alone, a lot of times that's when God really speaks to you because you have no other distraction around you. And at the end, it says that the man was God, uh, which was the angel of the Lord, the representation of God in a manifest form of, of, of revealing uh, himself and his plan to, to a follower of his, which was Jacob. But, but the interesting thing about that, and it would take a long time to kind of debrief that whole section, is, is that God wrestles with Jacob for a, a, all night. Okay? And you're thinking, what, what in the world is this story about? It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. In fact, sometimes when you read it, you're thinking, did, who won? Did, did, the, did the, the man, the man God win, or did Jacob? Because he talks about prevailing and all this. You need to understand, the reason that, that Jacob wrestled with God is because God knew that Jacob needed to come to that point where he needed to depend fully and completely upon God. That he needed to understand who was in charge and, 
And the person who was in charge was not Jacob. It wasn't going to be Jacob manipulating circumstances to, to make sure his life uh, went down the easy path rather than the more difficult path. That he needed not to protest, to, to rely on his own ability to provide protection. Doesn't mean we're not responsible. But that God was the ultimate protector. I was telling a story probably not very well. We, we, what God wants us to, to know about this story is that Jacob needed to fully surrender to God. And, and, and usually if you've ever seen a wrestling match, uh, if the person is not pinned, they'll be tapped out, you know, where the person is on. No more, no more. And he taps out. And until he, a person taps out, he still feels like he might still be able to win. And that's what Jacob was saying. Maybe I can still win. And, and what happens when they wrestled all night, he was still holding on to, to God. God just touches him in the, the socket of his, of his hip joint and he does what? He, 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 he creates a, a, a permanent limp in Jacob, which is simply a statement of humility. Look, at, when you forget who's in charge, just remember why you're limping. Okay, I, I'm the one in charge. I, I'm the one you need to hold on to. And, and so he brought Jacob to the point where he said, I, I need to fully surrender to you if I'm going to receive your protection. Now, that kind of touch, touches down to each one of us, doesn't it? You know, where, where in our lives right now are we, are we not surrendering? We're, we're kind of holding back. We're holding on to our own resources. And we need to recognize that we've got to fully surrender in Him. If we're going to experience His presence, understand that He's really filtering our pain, knowing that His power is sufficient and that He, he ultimately is the one who's going to protect us. Remember that story of, of uh, the lion, the king of the jungle? And he thought that he better make sure people in the jungle knew that he was the king of the jungle. So he went around and he, he'd roar, his, his big roar, and he'd, he'd go to the giraffe and he'd go to the, uh, the little critters, the squirrels, and he'd go to the um, mid-range animals, the zebras and things like that. And he'd ask the question, who's the king of the jungle? Who's the king of the jungle? And he'd have this deep voice when he'd ask that question. And they'd all respond, you are the king of the jungle. You are the king of the jungle. And finally, uh, he, the last animal he hadn't got to was uh, the elephant. And he asked the question, who's the king of the jungle? Who's the king of the jungle? And, and um, the elephant didn't say anything. And so he repeated the question, who's the king of the jungle? Who's the king of the jungle? And the elephant didn't say anything. One more time, who's the king of the jungle? So finally, the elephant grabs the lion by the mane and just begins to thrash him. Bam! 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 You know, and just throws him just about everywhere. And finally... He bams him one last time, and, you know, the, the lion's kind of dazed, seeing stars, gets himself up and looks the elephant right in the eye and says, well, just because you didn't know the answer, you didn't have to get that emotional. <laughs> you know, who's the king of the jungle? It wasn't Jacob. He was being thrashed throughout the entire night, but he wouldn't say uncle. And so God touched him in the socket and said, look it, if you go through life, it's not your power, it's not your strength, and whenever you take a limped walk, you remember you surrender to me, and then you get the blessing. Now, that's all intro to the message this morning. <laughs> and I'm just going to summarize chapters 33 and 34. You know, what did happen next? And if we were to put handles on it, uh, 
Jacob was going to have a, couple, uh, a few major things to deal with. Chapter 33, I'd, I'd put it this way. He needed to face his family fears with a little faith. You, you remember, as he, as he gets out of the land of his forefathers with Laban, he, he has to rush out of there. Laban gets to him. God miraculously speaks to Laban and says, hey, don't touch him. And don't even speak to him with good or bad words. I don't want you to manipulate him, and I don't want you to badmouth him. He is going back to where I told him to go. So he had people coming from behind him to get him, but he knew as he was trying to escape the people from behind, he was facing people that he, that he was going to encounter in the place he was going to go, and particularly a particular person, Esau. You remember what happened with Esau, with Esau and Jacob when, when he left? Esau says, when dad dies, okay, I'm killing my brother. I mean, he, he kind of manipulated an experience where I, I gave him my birthright, and then he, then he stole it by disguising himself as, my, as me, and I've got nothing. And when, when my dad dies, I'm killing him. Now, with, with that in your mind for 20 years, <laughs> that built up a little bit of anxiety over time, wouldn't it? And so as he goes to his promised land, he, he's, he's facing a fear within his own family. And, and in many ways, that's, that's the greatest source of fear and anxiety. When, when something's not right among family members or the people closest to you. And, and usually, when you're filled with fear, there's what they usually call there's either a fight or flight mechanism that comes in. Flight is you run from it. You never confront it. Fighting doesn't mean you're trying to destroy something, but you confront it. And Jacob now is at the point where he says, I'm going where God wants me to go. It's not going to be easy. And I'm going to encounter my brother, who is the outdoorsman, and myself, who's the indoorsman. I've created some experience being outdoors since then. And I will face that fear. Now, he's still a little concerned. He divides up his family, tries to somewhat bribe him with all kinds of gifts. But he faces the family that he had wronged. But he believed that God would protect him. We'll never see the hand of God in the midst of what we do unless we are willing to do what God wants us to do. And sometimes it means face the people in your life in the most gracious way possible to bring peace to a situation that's filled with conflict. That's what happens in chapter 33. Now, my, my thought is when, when he gets through this, Jacob is... It's... <laughs> It's, it's finally over. All, all these things that have encountered all my life, there's now a time of peace. It's, it, it's going to settle down. And sometimes God graciously does that. I mean, things to begin to settle down, but sometimes it doesn't happen that way. In, in Genesis chapter 34, and our life groups are going to be looking at that, I invite you to, one, go through the Bible study on your own, but go to the life group and go to a life group. And, and basically, we're just going to talk about it. That's all we do in life groups is, Look at the scripture and, hey, what, what do you think about this? How does that relate? Uh, let's look at that passage. But in Genesis chapter 34, it's one of the most disturbing chapters in the entire Bible. At, at this point, Jacob has 11 sons, if I'm counting right, and he has one daughter. He gets his next son a little bit later, um, Benjamin. But uh, he's in a land that's pretty idolatrous, pretty immoral. He probably... Pitches his tent at a place he shouldn't have stayed that as long as he did. And all of a sudden, his family is growing up and they're beginning to encounter people, you know, in the town. And Dinah, his one daughter, um, 
you know, meets people just like his sons meet people. And and one of the men of the city who was actually pretty high up, pretty prominent. He's the son of the the head head uh, person in town. He has eyes for Dinah and his eyes lead to what's next in terms of violating her and raping her. Now, when that happens, the whole family clan just goes crazy, particularly at least a particularly couple of their sons. And they began to connive and say, well, how are we going to make this wrong right? And they forget that really God is in the position to make wrong things right. And that's not our place. There are governmental responsibilities for that as well, but it's the the hand of God that makes wrong things right. And what happens is this, this sister there, Dinah, who's been raped, they in the town, Hamer and Shechem, come over and they say, well, we would like to marry um, Dinah, or she, uh, my son wants to marry her. What, what, what can we do to, to, to make this right? And what could be the, the, the promise or dowry we would give? And, and what comes from that is, well, let's have all the males in this town be circumcised. Now, I can't even imagine being circumcised as an adult, but they, they were willing to do that. And we kind of have an idea why, because there was some financial gain if all of a sudden this intermarrying practice started to happen. And they even say, all that's theirs will become ours. But what happens is, is that two of his sons and probably the other sons were somewhat involved in this. There was, there was some manipulation going on here. And, and this dysfunctional family... And there's some simple ways to understand why it was sort of dysfunction. You know, marriage takes a lot of work. And that's why we're doing this marriage class seminar starting next, uh, next Sunday. But it's hard enough to have a marriage work with two people in the marriage, the husband and the wife. Can you imagine having four wives or four mothers in a home? Well, what happens, these, these sons of his... They, they pick up all dad's bad habits in the manipulation process, and they become rather violent. And when they are in the process of healing from circumcision, they wipe out the entire male population there, and then they plunder all the good that's in the town. How, how, do, you, how do you handle that? There are things in your life, in my life, that will happen where there are circumstances beyond our control. The, the sewer system gets plugged and backs up our house. Minimal, but eventually it's done. It's not something we did. And there are other things that we look at the, the consequences. Well, I, I can know why I'm reaping that because that's what I sowed. But whether you did it or somebody else did it to you, what's the difference between it happening to you and anybody else? If you know God, the difference is, is that God will be with you, his presence. God will somehow filter your pain. And after this happening, if you read Genesis 34, Jacob throws up his hands and says, well, what have you done to us? Our lives are, are in so much more danger because of your, of your, your hatred and your, and your vengeance. God will somehow filter that pain. Uh, life's out of control. God's power and providence is still in operation. H- how, how are we going to be safe? God will protect us from whatever he deems fit for us to endure. 
God wants to understand that as, as we go through life walking with God, God gives us so many promises, but what he doesn't promise is that we will be insulated from the challenges of this life. And the point, I, I don't know if I said it, but don't be surprised when horrible things happen. Your kids follow your example, and you have to face challenging consequences because it will happen. And God is so gracious that we're also filled with times of great joy and peace and comfort. But there are times when things enter into our lives beyond our ability to even imagine or predict. And God is still there. So I leave you with this. Are you prepared? Are you prepared for what happens next? We can't predict the future, but we can believe that God will be with us. He'll filter what happens in our lives, even beyond what we believe that we can handle. He'll give us power and he'll give us protection. But we need to be surrendered to him. Let's pray. Well, I just ask this morning as we, as we examine our lives and allow your spirit to examine our lives, that you might allow us to fully surrender to you as we wrestle through life, that we might wrestle through life with a tag team partner, the living God. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning that hasn't made that first step, we, we just ask that they might do what everyone needs to do in encountering you, to admit their need. Jacob couldn't surrender until he, he saw his need and turned from his sinful ways. Why we come to the point where we believe, believe that, that what you have offered through your son is fully sufficient for the forgiveness of our sin, and that when you rose again, you conquered death. And then make that commitment to, to follow and believe in Jesus as the Lord God and Savior of our lives. To simply express that to you by saying, Lord, I, I do want to know you. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a, the person you want to be on the inside out. Help me to love and follow you the rest of my day. And for us who have already made that commitment, might that be the, the passion of our heart, that each day we might live in such a way that pleases and honors you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning-